Dr. Stuart Scott, is a nationally known Christian writer in this area. This is his specialty in dealing with matters related to biblical counseling. But God has used him greatly over a quarter of a century as a pastor and leading counseling ministries on both sides coasts of our country and now serving in the middle of the country as an associate professor of biblical counseling and its ministry there at the Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Let's welcome him back to the pulpit and give him the time. Thank you, brother. I'd like to say that you made a wise decision in coming back. Uh, thankful that in God's providence and his decreed will that you are here. And uh, we're going to be studying his revealed will, actually the application of the revealed will. How do we actually go about this? Uh, discerning how not to make decisions and then biblically how should we following the, the biblical principles. Jesus said in John 13, uh, blessed are you. Did he say, blessed are you if you know these things? Or blessed are you if you do these things that he taught? It's in the doing that really comes the blessing. And just storing up knowledge of God's will and how to go about decision making, just knowing the facts will not change your life. James 1 says that just hearing alone without the practice of it leads to spiritual deception. You think you're growing spiritually, but actually you're not. The knowledge alone without its practice leads to pride. It it puffs up if we're not practicing what God teaches us in his word. Throughout the word of God, we find that you're not trying to find his will, but the writers, Old Testament and New Testament, assume that you already know what God's will is, through faithful study of his word. Their admonitions, along with Jesus, is do the will. Even in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. So again, we're not trying to hear God's voice. We're, we're trying to study what he has already communicated. One professor at seminary said, how God moves is a mystery, his providence. But how he speaks is not a mystery, for the Spirit of God without the Word of God is silent. And it just drives us back to the Word that he gave and that he inspired for us to know and to follow. Just a review, I think it's the teacher in me, just a review, lest you've forgotten anything through the, the afternoon, how important it is in our lives on a daily basis. We make hundreds and thousands of decisions Every day, some more weightier than others for sure. But we make thousands of decisions every day, and we ought to do it in such a way that we're under the dominating influence of God's revealed will, the scriptures. And then when we're under that dominating influence, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, we live in a manner worthy of the Lord, walking to please Him. Uh, Within scripture, there are so many references to the importance of God's word. It is his will for us to know. We looked at God's decretive aspect of his will, the the sovereign purpose, 
that he decreed from beginning to end, and everything in between is his decreed will, his sovereign will. And he orchestrates and makes all of that happen by his providence, which is mysterious. You do not know it ahead of time how he's going to do what he's going to do. But he will carry out what he has decreed. Then we saw his preceptive aspect of his will, which is special revelation, God's word. And we're to follow it in biblical commands and in principles. The application of that leads to increase of wisdom. If you want to be wise, then know God's word and live according to it. Live it out. Be a doer of the word. We uh, used a visual to maybe help with the two aspects where you see God's decreed will from beginning to end, all events, past, present, and future. Within that, he has given us the aspect of his uh, revealed will, the preceptive will of Scripture. Within that, you have commands and you have principles, which even in one of the principles is a purposeful freedom, that if we're following God's commands... And in the direction God is pointing us towards holiness and to please him, there's freedom with some of the principles. And God is trying by his spirit to tighten us up so that we are so biblically minded that we walk that way. And the more we walk that way, the more we are walking as Christ walked. And we looked at the warning of a pseudo-spirituality that is prevalent today. It's increasing I'm finding books coming out. Dallas Willard wrote one on hearing God, hearing God outside of Scripture, hearing God. Henry Blackaby and his son wrote a book, Hearing God's Voice. And so there are books coming out that talk about trying to hear God outside of Scripture. They would say, well, he spoke in Scripture, but he also speaks outside of Scripture, and we need to be quiet and listen for him. And it just leads to a, really a pseudo-spirituality. Mysticism, just as uh, R.B. Kuyper wrote, it's the essence of mysticism to separate the operation of the Holy Spirit from God's objective word. True spirituality is knowing his word, being under the influence of his word, and walking in obedience to it with our eyes focused upon Christ. Uh, One of the key New Testament texts, I talked about it, I mentioned it was 2 Peter 1.19 when Peter was talking about his experiences. But he said there's something more sure. He says, we have the prophetic word more sure, to which you do well to pay attention. Uh, Dr. MacArthur writes, Peter is ranking scripture over experience, and so must we. I've had experiences, and I don't even know how to explain them. But I'm just going to something more sure, which is God's word. The prophetic word is more complete, more permanent, and more authoritative than the experience of anyone. And uh, again, thankful that you are here at this church that takes such a high view and stand on Scripture, the Word of God. Now, one of the things that we need to do is faithfully study God's Word so that we're not proof-texting misusing the scriptures. One of the most misused portions of scripture is narrative. People go into narrative in Old Testament, New Testament, and they pull out things. It tells us what happened, but it doesn't, it's not prescriptive on this is what you need to do. And they'll just 
pull out and proof text verses, as you know, is eisegesis. And so we need to faithfully study God's word. It's a, a word that's probably common to a lot of you, the hermeneutics or Bible study method or skills. And I know a lot of you are taught well on how to look at the scriptures and read it, taking the literal principle, wherever you can take it literally, you do. Some of the genres of scripture, uh, you're going to have to apply the principles of interpretation there, some in the form of prophecy, some in the area of uh, the wisdom literature. You get into Song of Solomon and certain things, and you're going to have, what does that mean? And study it a little different. But most of the time, God didn't write his word to confuse us, his children, but to help us to just read it and follow, understand it, and to apply it. The historical principle, this is where you're going back, what, did, what was the authorial intent? What did the author, the human writer, as the Spirit of God, was, what he was writing was truly inspired from God? What did they mean by what they said? And that's going back and studying word studies and the history, the geography, what was going on during that time, the historical principle. So you're faithfully studying God's word. Then the grammatical principle, the verb, the subject, the word order, the context before and after. That would have helped that promise calendar illustration, wouldn't it? If you worship me, it will all be yours. Just looking in the Bible would have told you that was Satan saying that to Jesus. That's not a promise you claim for the day. Then the synthesis principle, sometimes called the correlational principle where if you're studying a particular passage in a particular book, then what do the other 65 books of the Bible teach about this particular subject? That would help so many people who only study the book of Acts. What does all of Scripture teach about the role of the Holy Spirit and his function? So the synthesis principle, because we have one divine author, the Holy Spirit. He doesn't contradict himself, and he doesn't stutter. If something's repeated, it's because we need reminding. And then, finally, and you don't want to leave this off, the practical principle. How does this apply to you? What it says and means is what it says and means. That's not up to you to interpret. There's no private interpretation. What it says and what it means is what it says and means. And that just comes through faithful study of the word. But how it applies can go in different directions. Uh, If you remember John the Baptist, when he preached repent, different groups would come up to him. Uh, The crowds came up. What should we do with that message? And he said, well, if you have two tunics, you know, give one to someone else. And then the tax collectors came up and said, well, what should we do with that? And he says, well, don't collect more than you want to. And then the soldiers came up. What are we supposed to do? And there were different applications to the one message on repent. So it As we're studying the scriptures, we're thinking through how does what the word of God says and means, how does the spirit of God, how can he help me apply this to my life today and the decisions I have to make today? We don't want to worry too much about tomorrow, right? Tomorrow has enough worry and concern of its own. You can plan for tomorrow, but always put Lord willing. I'll do this, that, and the other. We're taught in James. Now, here's some methods and motives to be cautious of. Some just do not practice. But some of them be cautious of them. We're not to put our full weight and our walk with the Lord on any of these. 
It comes really through commands and principles we're supposed to be walking. I'm familiar with most all of these. I've used them all at one time or another in my Christian life, mostly in the early stages. So I'm familiar with a lot of these. Misusing the Bible. Open it up, insert finger, and just misusing it that way. Or proof texting. You have an agenda, and you're going to find something in Scripture that will allow you to support what you're doing, even though that's not the right interpretation of the text. One of the bizarre illustrations I heard of that is where a person said, I'm, I don't cut the tail off my dog. You know, some dogs you're supposed to clip it off because what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. <laughs> you, you don't want to go there with misusing the Bible. A personal advice. Godly people can counsel wrongly. They can advise you wrongly. Even Peter did that to Jesus, didn't he? Peter told Jesus, uh, Jesus, I'm going to Jerusalem. He said, oh, no, that's not a good idea. I don't, you, no, not Jerusalem. Jerusalem's out. And then the words you don't ever want to hear Jesus say to you is, get thee behind me, Satan. Godly people can advise you wrongly. So seek advice. In the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. But listen to it carefully. It's better to ask what biblical principles or commands come to your mind that you could share with me that would help me in my decision. That would be a good way of approaching advice. Ask the person, a godly person, what what commands or principles in Scripture come to your mind that would help me in my decision? Another one is circumstances. Now, I said that right. One time I was looking at this and I went too fast. I, I, as soon as I saw it, I, I thought of circumcisions. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't recover after I said that. Everyone started laughing uh, using circumcisions. And I said, it's a painful way to go with decision making. Uh, it's, it's circumstances. Some people just are waiting for circumstances and they're, however, they go with the flow. Whatever is going on with the circumstances makes their decisions. And they ought not to ever make our decisions. Water came out of the rock when Moses hit it in Numbers chapter 20. You would think, looking at circumstances, it wouldn't matter if you needed to follow the Lord or not. Look at the water that came out. But we have God's commentary on Moses and what he did. And God was not pleased with it. But there were results Look at the circumstances. Joshua, in Joshua 9, with the Gibeonites. They looked at the circumstances. The Gibeonites came over the hill. They said, look at our our bread's all moldy. It was fresh out of the oven when we came. Look at our sandals. They were brand new. Now they're worn out. And they looked at circumstances and made their decision. And they signed a treaty with the Gibeonites. And it says, but they did not consult the Lord. So even circumstances can mislead you. God will use circumstances to bring you up to where you must make a biblically informed decision. Don't let circumstances make your decision. Use the commands and principles of Scripture to make your biblically informed decision. Setting up conditions. This is where people put God to the test. This is Gideon. Gideon is never commended for what he did with that fleece. Do not find ten principles of decision-making in the life of Gideon. Uh, God was patient with Gideon. But Gideon put God to the test, which we're not supposed to do. 
this would be like a person who would say, um, I'm going to trust you, Lord. Um, if you want me to go to this school, then have someone call me in the next hour and tell me I should go to that school. You're putting God to the test. He has to come through for you. You're the one calling the shots rather than submitting yourself to God. Another one is open and closed doors. Jay Adams says open doors lead to elevator shafts. <laughs> Be careful of open doors. And how do you even t- interpret open doors? The Apostle Paul used that phrase, open doors, four times. And when he uses that, he's not talking about decision-making as much as opportunities to preach Christ to those who are lost. That's all he, he uses it for. He prays for opportunities to preach Christ, to speak of Christ wherever he goes. So if that's how you're using it, Lord, I pray for an open door. Uh, I do that. Uh, I just did that on a flight. But you kind of go, now, wait a minute. I sit by the door in the exit row. But (laughs) I was praying for an open opportunity to speak of Christ with someone on the plane. That would be appropriate. That's how it's used at least, in, in uh, the New Testament. Then you get into, this is a big one, people's ideas, inner feelings, desires, and impressions. This is huge with believers today. I think God wants me to. Uh, I feel this prompting or impression, or Bill Gothard uses checks in the spirit. There's all kinds of language that gets very subjective Gary Friesen, in his book, Decision-Making the Will of God, he says impressions could be produced by any number of sources. God, Satan, an angel, a demon, human emotions, hormonal imbalance, insomnia, medication, or an upset stomach. There's no way you know the origin of that. There's There's no confidence that it is God. But people go, oh, I know it's God. Especially when you get into desires. I have a good desire. It has to be of God. Well, you have to check that out with the, the commands and principles of Scripture. King David had a great desire in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Great desire. He's sitting in the cedar-lined palace, and the ark is in a tent. And Nathan shows up, the, the prophet of God, and he says, Nathan, this isn't right. I'm in a cedar-lined palace. The ark is in a tent. You know, I need to build a temple. And Nathan said, and here's advice from a godly man, David, go do all that is in your heart. God is with you. Well, good desire, godly advice, and then Nathan goes home. And in 2 Samuel 7, God shows up that night to to Nathan and says, Nathan, what are you doing? This isn't the man and this isn't the time for the temple. Good desire, godly advice, wrong person, wrong time. It was Solomon that was going to do that. So even good desires, you're going to have to, I, I, I need to think through the commands and principles about walking in a way that is reasonable, sensible, according to Scripture. And not just go with whatever desire you have or feelings. You need to check everything out with the scriptures. 
Then people say, led by the Spirit. That's real mystical. No, it's not. It's only mentioned twice. Romans chapter 8 and in Galatians chapter 5. And in both contexts, being led by the Spirit means being led in the area of holiness and sanctification. That's all it's talking about. The Spirit, when he is leading you, will take you towards Christ, which is a holy walk. That's Romans chapter 8 and Galatians 5, right before it gets in, here's the deeds of the flesh, but here's how the Spirit leads you in the fruit of the Spirit. It's not talking about some subjective, mystical, hearing voices and and, and all of that. It's the Spirit of God is going to take us and lead us in sanctification, in a holy walk, both places, in Romans 8 and Galatians 5. Then people say, well, I heard God. I heard God speak. What do you do with that one? Well, there's, I can't argue with people's experiences. It's just they have no sure way to know that it was God. There is no sure way that it was God and no safeguard from error once they go down that path. When people have these audible voices, it could be a reaction of a side effect of medication that someone might be on. It could be that a person has not has not had sleep, good sleep, for at least three days because three days without sleep leads to hallucinations. Just sleep loss. You hear voices. You see things move that aren't moving. I tell students that when they're taking their exam week. Get sleep because I don't want you hallucinating on the exams. Uh, some of the answers look like that. And sometimes it's just someone wants something so much that we, we sort of talk to ourselves. We go, well, that was God. Well, maybe it was just you. Uh, there's various explanations, but even if they go, no, I heard something. Well, there's something more sure than those kind of experiences. Something that's more sure is let's go back to the word of God. It's more sure. Let's stand on what's, co- what's confident on the word of God and commands and principles and not be looking and listening for other kinds of experiences. Again, there's just no sure way to know that it's God outside of Scripture. Then you have misusing prayer. These are people that, almost in an Eastern um, mystical way, they are trying to listen to God in prayer. But prayer in Scripture is always God's people speaking, not listening. If you want to listen, then listen to the word of God read and preached. But if you, when you speak, that's prayer. Prayer is you talking to God. You do it through supplications, general prayers, intercession on behalf of other people, and through thanksgivings. So four terms used for prayer involve you speaking, not listening. Now, some people confuse that with meditation, which is now studying the word of God and in prayer, you're thinking through how the Word of God rightfully studied applies to your life. Then inner peace. This is probably, I think, one of the more popular forms that Christians uh, get caught up with as they go, I just don't have peace about that. Or uh, I have peace about something. And they use that as a marker. That's God then. If, if If I don't have peace, then it's not of God. And if I have peace, it's of God. Peace is not used in Scripture for decision-making. 
Uh, I looked at the different references. Romans 5.1, if someone is outside of Christ, they do not have peace with God. But if you're in Christ, Romans 5.1, we have peace with God. We are united with God. In Philippians 4, 6 and 7, when someone is anxious, they will not have peace. But if they're trusting God, bringing their petitions and supplications to God with thanksgiving, then the peace of God will guard their hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In Colossians 3.15, it says, let the peace of God rule or guard your hearts. And that's plural. It's talking about the corporate body gathering together in Colossians chapter 3. And let peace rule, not divisiveness and factions, but let the peace of God rule in the body of Christ when you're gathered. So it's just not used for decision-making. Jonah had great peace. He was asleep in the bottom of ship going in the opposite direction that God told him to go. So you don't want to rest on, I feel good about it. Now, what I have done uh, when someone says, well, I don't have, I'll ask someone, you know, uh, are you, uh, could you teach a particular Sunday school class? Well, I don't have peace about it. Rather than just go, oh, well, okay. Just say, what do you mean by that? Because we're not to be led by gut feelings. Is that what you mean? Like peace down here in your stomach? Or are you talking about a peace of mind? You're troubled about something in your mind. You go, yeah, that's it. Okay, now we're a little bit more objective. What is it that you're thinking through and trying to work in your mind that you're unsettled about? Well, I've already taken so many things on. I don't know that I could teach that and do everything else in a faithful manner. Oh, okay. Well, see, it takes it into more objectivity with biblical principles about being faithful than just, well, I just don't have peace about it. So watch that one. People will say, I have peace about doing sinful things. And you say, well, that peace is not from God. Devices. You know, in times past, God did use different means in times past in the Old Testament and even into the beginning of the New Testament. They would cast lots and draw straws and all kinds of different devices and means and dreams and visions. But in Hebrews 1 says, they, in various times in the past, God did give revelation in different ways and give direction. But now he's spoken through his son. And once you go, when revelation is complete, all other forms are passe. They're, uh, they're inferior When the new and full has come and God has given us this full revelation now, special revelation, you don't go back to old means. You look and say, how does he instruct us to live now? And it's study the word and live according to it. So you don't want to be flipping coins on do I marry her or not marry her. I had a student come up and say, well, we we do that at our sports and our games. I mean, at a soccer match, they flip a coin on I said, well, if you use the biblical principle of preferring one another, the game would never start. So, you you know, we're talking about immoral decisions that you're making on a daily basis. Follow the commands and principles, not devices. Or scissors, paper, and rock, all kinds of ways people use devices. Then signs. People looking for, this is like circumstances, but signs. You know, how much do I give today at church? And you pass the speed limit and go, well... What did that say? 65? That's 65 is it. God's just told us. I mean, that's using signs. <laughs> and, and 
God does not have much good to say about people who seek signs in the scripture. It's usually not a commendation. Uh, it's a, a judgment, and it's, it's their laziness and often wickedness and sinful hearts that seek signs rather than take God at his word and trust him. So be careful of that one, of trying to read into things. Isolation. Some people, when they make decisions, pull away from everyone, pull away, away from the word, away from people, and they go, I just need to get alone and make a decision. That could be deadly. In Proverbs chapter 18, verses 1 and following, a person who isolates himself often, it says, seeks their own desire. They wage war against all good judgment. You want to try to enlist and get as much data as you can. The heavier and more weightier the decision, the more you want to take time and gather as much information as you can. And even asking godly people. I find people who move, relocate, they just... Better job offer, we're moving. And they come up and they tell the elders at a church, say, you know what, we're moving. Got about a month and we're moving. Well, that's first we've heard about it. Have you looked for a church? I'm sure there's one there. And they're not even following good principles of decision making. And here are the elders who give watch and care over the souls of the sheep in a church. And to have their input. When we went to Kentucky from California, uh, I asked the elders to think that through, talk amongst themselves, pray about it, and then get back with me. And I submitted all of the information, and they said, we don't want you to leave, you and your family. Maybe you could leave, Sandra stays. Uh, But we, we don't want your family to leave. But we believe it's best that you go. And so you want the elders all in, at least involved in the major, major decisions in your life to encourage you, to pray for you, pray with you, and to maybe give you some information that would be very helpful. That's often left out, and people isolate themselves because they don't really want anyone telling them. They know what they want to do, and they want to go do it. And then some are into dreams. This is becoming more popular. There's even books written on how to interpret dreams. Spurgeon said, our, our dreams are nothing more than our imagination morbidly active. We're not told to seek dreams or God's going to speak to us in dreams. Don't be, uh, don't be fascinated with dreams. They're just uh, experiences. When you wake up and you've had a bad dream, just think on things that are real. Your dream was not. What happened in your dream was not real. We're told in Philippians 4, 8, dwell on things that are real. So we don't talk about our dreams. The more you talk about it, the more real it becomes. Just, that was just bizarre. But we're going to dwell, right now we're told to dwell on things that are true, honest, right, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy kind of thoughts. And dreams don't fit that. So we're held responsible for what we fill our mind with before we go to bed and what we do is the minute we wake up. Waiting on the Lord. Uh, this is an Old Testament term primarily that's used, wait, which means to trust. It does not mean to sit still. Now people go, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. You know, well, have you asked her out? I mean, you're very interested in her and a possible spouse. Well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. Well, what are you waiting on him to do? 
The word wait means get going, but trust God while you're going. That's what it means. It does not mean sit still. Those who wait on the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles. I mean, you're on the move. You're running. You're walking. You're not sitting still. So the the wait is often an excuse for laziness and wanting God to do something rather than follow his commands and principles and trust him as you move ahead. Our conscience is our guard, not our guide. You can't trust your conscience because of the effects of sin, called the noetic effect of sin. Our conscience is bent. Sometimes we think what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. And we want to educate our conscience with the word of God. But your conscience is your guard. Don't violate it, but do educate it. And uh, Dr. MacArthur, an excellent book on the vanishing conscience, But he he says their conscience is a guard, not our guide. So forget what Pinocchio says. A reason. We're to engage our, our mind and our reason, but don't rest on your own reasoning. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we're told, don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So engage your mind with all of the information, the commands, the principles, the godly advice from others, and you're engaging it all, but don't rest on your own reasoning. Then there's a pseudo-faith out there. People talk about doing things by faith when it violates so many biblical principles of wisdom and decision-making. People say, well, I'm just going to claim it by faith. You know, I'm just going by faith. I don't know where I'm going. I don't even have a job. We don't even know where we're going to live, but we're going to go by faith. And that is, in biblical language, that's just foolish. But some people say, oh, that is such great faith. Faith in Scripture, especially in Hebrews 11, are people that responded to what God told them to do. God told them, Here's a promise. This is what I want you to do. And they believed God and they did it. The centurion uh, in Luke 7, 1 through 10. He has said, Jesus, you don't need to come to my house. If you just say the words, you you have to say it though. You have to say that my servant is going to be healed. If you say the words, I'm on my way home. That's all I need to hear. I'm, I'm one who commands. You speak. It goes through. I trust you, you're the son of God. You say the word, and then I'm on my way home. And Jesus said, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Faith is not foolishness. Faith is not, well, I wonder what God wants. I'm going to go out by faith. No, it's taking God at his word and saying, God says this, and so I'm going to live in accordance with it. That is faith. And so there's that pseudo-faith. Then fasting. This has become a popular uh, thing that you give up a few meals, maybe several, and then whatever decision you make, you say, that was of God because I prayed and I fasted. Well, if you're not thinking biblically about the decision, then you could be out of his revealed will and thin. (laughs) Fasting is not a magic foot. Some magic formula you put on the end of it equals God's will. 
God has given us his commands and principles. And oftentimes when we're burdened about something uh, and we give great time and effort to something, food is, is not that important to us and we fast to give more time and effort to concentrate on what God has told us to do and now the application of it. Then there's the call. And I'm probably going to uh, step on some sacred cows. The call has become something today that I'm not sure where it came from or where it originated from. I mean, it's used in Scripture a few different ways. We're called to be saints. That's used. I mean, we're called to be Christians. Paul was called to be an apostle. We see that in 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were called on their first missionary journey. The Holy Spirit said to the, the, the leadership there, set apart Paul and Barnabas for this first missionary journey. Other than that, I'm not sure where we get this. Everyone has to have some amazing experience uh, to be a pastor, to be a missionary. I, I'm not sure where it's coming from. And, and some of that is even a narrative. We're all commanded to make disciples. We're all, you know, you go, I'm, I, I won't feel called to share the faith. You're commanded to do that. The great commission is we're all commanded to make disciples. Now, it does say about church leadership, if anyone aspires to the office of an elder, they, they aspire to a good work. They want to be a shepherd and meet the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, which are very objective. But this has become very mystical and sharing about all kinds of experiences rather than what are the commands and principles that we should be following. Jim George, Elizabeth George's husband, Jim, wrote an excellent, art, uh, it's a chapter in a book on pastoral ministry that Dr. MacArthur and the Master Seminary faculty put together. And he uses call there and uses it as an acronym. C would be Confirmation. Confirmation by godly people in your life that you should be involved in missions or go towards seminary. But godly leadership in your life should know you and affirm you. They confirm that, that you have a love for Christ and the ability. The A is for abilities. God has given you abilities, graced you, spiritual giftedness, either speaking or serving gifts. Another L, the first L, would be for church leadership that you long, you want to serve God in that capacity. And the last L is for the leadership qualities, a lifestyle of godliness according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. But you're, you're dealing with lots of objectivity with the principles and commands of Scripture and then the one thing for a pastoral uh, position is that you want to shepherd God's people. But that has become, I mean, I hear it a lot with students. They just go, I don't know if I've had the call yet. Go, what are you waiting for? Do you want to serve God? Do you want to love him? Do your leadership send you? They know you? Uh, let's get with the, the commands and principles and let's serve God wherever he would have us serve him. Locally, uh, overseas, but using all of the principles will help. Then you have the small group method. The small group method is this. It's a misuse of Matthew 18, where you just gather two or three together, agree on it, and God will give it to you. 
And that, that's a, an errant read of that passage in the context of church discipline. But some people will do that. Get two or three together, agree on something, and God has promised that he will make it happen. And that's a misuse, again, of Matthew 18. And there's other ways as well. And I know I'm, the time is quickly going. I want to move right how we should now. How should we make decisions? First, if you're outside of Christ, you have not trusted in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, that would be the first decision. That would be the first call on your life from God is to repent of living for yourself and your sin and embrace Christ alone for, the sal- for your salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins, and live to worship him as Lord and Savior in your life. That would be the first will of God for you. Instruction of God, repent and believe. Secondly, for a believer, pursue a life of worshiping God. Recognize God's sovereignty over all. Then look at the commands and principles. Make sure you're studying scripture well, that what scripture has bearing on everything, whether direct or indirect, has some light on every decision we have to make. The wisdom is going to be applying that to your life. And the purposeful freedom is now that you have these principles, it's no occasion for your own flesh to serve your flesh, your freedom in Christ. It's to love and serve others in Galatians 5.13. Our freedom is not for ourselves; It's to really serve other people. I want to get you back to uh, the area here. And then finally, a desire. If all of that lines up, what would you like to do for the glory of God? What would you like to do if you have a couple options and everything lines up? And you have passages that talk about even wishing. So here, you have the back page is a diagram that we use. My wife and I use this. The weightier the decision, we use these things. We, we just get it out, and this is what we work with. I don't do this for picking out clothes to wear in the morning. I just, principles of modesty, is it clean, is it appropriate, and you just move on. Hope it matches. But as far as weightier decisions, this might be a good tool for you to use. Have a humble, yielded, dependent will before God. Not my will, your will be done. That's how you move into decision-making. Pray, Lord, help me to understand your word and to apply it to this decision. Then gather all the factual data that you can about the decision you have to make, whether it's a job, whether it's marriage, having children, adoption, all kinds of issues. Gather all the factual data. Then are there any commands that pertain to this particular decision you have to make? And oftentimes, unless you're going to violate, lie, steal, usually you're not hitting up against commands. You're trying to faithfully follow God. This is the biggest area I I believe most of the work has to go on, and that's principles. Principles in Scripture concerning this issue. There's all kinds of stewardship principles Principles of considering other people, preferring others' interest over your own. It may be the right thing to do, but not the right time. Lots of principles come in and help you as a compass to to go in a direction that brings glory to God. And then one of those principles is, is this a freedom for my own flesh, or is it a freedom I can do for the glory of God and the good and love of other people? I want to keep others and God always in my mind. And then make a decision. 
it's not as complicated as oftentimes we think it is. And it's not as mystical and subjective as often we think it is. Walking by faith is knowing God's word and walking according to it with commands and principles under your steps. And always trusting God's decretive will above you that God will rearrange your steps or redirect your steps as he sees fit. And so you trust him as you obey. Trust and obey. That is a favorite one. It's trusting God and obey. There's no other way, right? To enjoy God and to bring him glory, but to trust and obey. I wish I had a lot more time to just kind of walk through some decisions with you, uh, some practical ones, even ones that the scripture has nothing to say about to uh, illustrate that, but to uh, respect your time tonight and that you'll maybe talk about this amongst yourselves and encourage you men in your families to try to help lead your families to think this way and make decisions this way where God is is honored and glorified and his word is upheld. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for giving us your word. You didn't leave us here with no instructions. You have given us a special revelation, the, the word of God that reveals the living word. And I pray that as we read your word and study it and the commands and principles, it's all for the purpose to help us to walk in a manner worthy of our Lord pleasing him in all respects. And Lord, thank you for forgiveness of sins. We want to thank you that even though we look back and we've made decisions all kinds of ways, dependent on so many subjective means, but thank you that we've never missed your decreed will for our life. But grow us. Help us to increase in in faith in you and your word. Help us to be more of a student of your word, meditating on it, and into application, into our decisions, and to our walk with you. Lord, bless each one. Grow us as your children. And for those who do not know you through Jesus Christ, we pray, Lord, that you would grant them salvation. All of grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.